I invite you to remain standing as together we recite the Shema. Jesus would have recited it on waking every morning and before going to bed, as did all good Jews of that day and still today. And we have the opportunity to join in that great tradition to proclaim this basic creed of our faith. So please join me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew in the 24th chapter, verses 36 through 34. Let us listen for the word of God. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as in the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be left in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When David asked me if I would preach today, I was really excited. I mean, after all, it's the beginning of Advent. Christmas is almost here. And there's so many wonderful scriptures to choose from. And then I read this lesson. It's not my first choice. I'll be honest about that. But it is what the lectionary has given us as the gospel reading for today. It's difficult It's hard to understand. It can be troubling and even fearful. And it speaks a lot about uncertainty. But the truth is we all live with uncertainty, don't we, daily? Uncertainty about security and safety, about finances and jobs, about aging and health, and unexpected events that can happen in our lives. So many areas of uncertainty that we live with. And it is into such a situation that Advent comes and speaks to us. You see, as Christians, we have always looked at Advent not just as a time to prepare for Christmas, but as a time to prepare for the return of Jesus, the second coming. 
It has been considered a time when we are to reflect, repent, prepare, watch, and wait for that arrival of our Lord. So today, I invite you to come with me into this difficult text to explore what it has to say to us. And I believe that in the end, we will find words of grace and hope. Matthew 24 and 25 are chapters that are filled with consistent warnings by Jesus of the end times and his return. Our text is found right in the middle of these words. Those who heed them will receive great blessing, and those who do not, well, they're left to their own peril. This is apocalyptic literature. We find it not only here, but in Daniel and Revelation and in other scriptures found in the New Testament. Apocalyptic writing speaks of the end times, and it uses word pictures because it is trying to describe something that is humanly impossible to describe. So in order to understand these ancient texts and what they say to us today, we have to look at the context. Because the context of when these words were spoken and the times in which they were spoken will help us understand their true meaning for us today. Now, those who heard Jesus speak these words heard them as a prophecy. Jesus said that a terrible time was coming, a crisis for Jerusalem and the nation. It would be a time when there would be terrible things happening. It would be frightening. It would be devastating. And he predicted it would come within a generation. Today, we know that prophecy did come true. In 70 A.D., the Romans swept down upon the little country of Israel. They completely destroyed Jerusalem. And as David reminded us a couple of weeks ago, piece by piece dismantled the temple. These were chaotic and difficult times, frightening times for the people when it happened. And yet, Matthew, in the aftermath of all of this destruction, sometime in the 70s, wrote his gospel. And he recorded these words of Jesus spoken before his death and crucifixion. But also speaking to us today, to the disciples, the early Christians of that day. And I learned in doing my research that there were four viewpoints that kind of bubbled up in Judaism during this time. The first one was a sense of hopelessness. The temple was destroyed. Surely the end had come. What were they to do? Another group made up primarily of the Pharisees said this destruction of the temple was because of the wrath of God. And God's wrath had come because the people had been lazy and not observed the Mosaic laws and the sacred rituals. 
only a return to those laws and rituals would usher in the Messiah and the restoration of the temple. The largest group were those who were just confused, who were fearful, who were looking for some stability, some kind of security in the midst of the chaos. And the fourth group, they were the Messianic Jews, the earliest Christians who knew and believed that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus would come again. They thought it would have been when the temple was destroyed, but Jesus had not yet returned. And so they struggled to live with that uncertainty. And not only how to live in those times while they waited, but also how to relate to the larger context of their Jewish brothers and sisters who did not believe Jesus was Messiah. It is into these kind of thought patterns that Jesus speaks a very clear word about his return. Our scriptures began with them. No one knows that day or hour. Not the angels, not the son, only the father. And I believe Jesus speaks these words as words of hope. You see, as carefully as we try to read the signs or even discern what the signs are, we we can't predict when his coming will happen or how. We simply don't know only the Father. And so to speculate is foolish, and it is also distrustful of God and God's perfect plan for all of us. Instead, Jesus is calling his followers to prepare themselves, to be alert, to be awake. I don't know about you, but I enjoy watching the weather. I like to check it every day to make sure I know how to dress or whether to carry my umbrella or not. Some days I carry my umbrella and it doesn't rain. Other days I bring my coat and the front doesn't come in. The weathermen do their very best. But predicting the weather is not a sure bet. Neither is predicting the future. I remember several years ago, and some of you may remember it as well, when three of our famous weathermen were invited to be grand marshals in the Battle of Flowers parade. They promised that it was going to be a good day, that the rains would hold off and all would be well. Unfortunately, it rained on their parade. We just can't always predict, can we, what's going to happen. But we can prepare and we can watch. And Jesus is calling us to live faithfully as his disciples. And if we do that, then we don't need to know the day or the time. We can trust God. We will be ready. To emphasize that point, Jesus follows it up with three analogies. They all deal with watchfulness, readiness. The first one comes from Noah. But did you notice Jesus doesn't talk about the wickedness of the people? Instead, 
he talks about how they will be eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. They will be involved with their daily lives. And Jesus is, I think, saying to us, let us not be so obsessed with the material things. Let us not be so involved in our daily living that we ignore God or our relationship with God. Indifference to living God's way is the problem. And often that can lead to sin. So when Jesus says, watch, therefore, for you don't know in what hour your Lord comes. He's not talking about physical wakefulness, but spiritual preparedness. How do we live in a grace-filled relationship with God so that it forms the very core of our being and flows out of us to others? The second analogy is a bit more troublesome. Verses 40 and 41 are known as the rapture verses, where one is suddenly taken and one is left. There is a very popular belief today that this refers to some type of supernatural salvation act in which God will whisk some off to heaven and leave the others to fend for themselves. Actually, that really happened in 70 A.D. when the Romans came in. They did take some away, but they killed them, and others they left to try and survive. If we seek to promote today's popular viewpoint about rapture, we are promoting fear, vengeance, separation, and escape. It rejects all that God seeks to offer us, God's love, God's reconciliation, God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's joy. It shows us a God who is stern and distant and wrathful, not the loving, gracious, forgiving God that Jesus taught and revealed to us. So how do we look at this scripture? I believe Jesus uses it as a word picture not to cause fear, but to call us to preparedness, to demonstrate the importance of being ready and not worrying about the details. The third analogy is a little easier to understand. As Jesus says, it will come like a thief in the night. We know about that thief, don't we? We've all had moments when things happen that are unexpected, that change our lives forever. Just this week, we have witnessed the killing of police detective Ben Marconi and other policemen in our nation. A sudden, senseless act that changed lives. We saw a school bus crash in Chattanooga and take five precious children, robbed them of life, and robbed their families. We remembered on November the 22nd President John F. Kennedy's assassination, an event that certainly changed 
all of us who were living at that time. Yes, things happen. And they do come often like a thief in the night. And we're not really fully prepared, are we? But if we are prepared, then we can somehow move through those times and we can do so with God's grace and the assurance of God's presence and power aiding us through those times. Again, Spiritual preparedness is the key. Interestingly enough, this week uh, we went to a Chinese restaurant, and I'm sure when you go, like me, you want to open the fortune cookie and see what it tells you. Now, I know that those fortunes just never come true for me. But this one was different. It said, the wise thing to do is to prepare for the unexpected. And I thought, ooh, maybe that's a sign I really am supposed to preach this scripture. It is the wise thing to do. Jesus tells us that. And how do we do it? We live in daily companionship with Jesus Christ. When we do, we won't be threatened by the sudden appearance of his coming. We will receive it with joy. Our scripture reminds us to be ready, watchful, and spiritually awake. And one of its companion lectionary texts is from Romans 13, verses 14 through 16. And Paul says, we are to put on Christ. That's how we prepare. We put on Christ. That's how we stay alert and awake. And there are a variety of ways in which we can continually put on Christ in our lives. I appreciated Carolyn's word to the children. She gave us some really good ideas about how to do that. So to her list, I would suggest something else that you might do, especially in this Advent season, but then all year long. Of course, prayer and scripture reading is always important. Why not find a daily time for silence, solitude, to simply sit in the presence of God and let God love on us? Perhaps someone has hurt us and we could offer forgiveness and reconciliation. We can certainly practice generosity, generosity of our time, of our talents and gifts, of our money of our spirits toward each other. Another one that I enjoy doing is simply listing at night at least three blessings that I have seen God give me during this day and express my thanks. We can all do acts of unconditional grace and love that reflect how we love God and how we love others. By living the Jesus way of love, we can be prepared. We can live faithfully in the present and leave the rest to God. It's not so much about belief as it is action, living 
Jesus' way. Jesus says, be ready for in an hour that you don't expect the Son of Man will come. Some hear this as a threat. We should respond with seeing it as a blessed promise. Some people hear it with fear. We can hear it with hope. When Christ comes again, he will set everything straight. But as to how and when that happens, well, we can leave that in the hands of our loving God. And we can live faithfully now. Welcome to Advent. It calls us to contemplate whether or not we are paying attention to our spiritual lives. It summons us in Isaiah's words to walk in the light of the Lord. Advent invites us to be prepared and ready as we wait for the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can do so not fearful, but joyful. And you know, on second thought, perhaps this scripture is actually perfect for Advent. It's wonderful good news for us all. Amen.